Catholic Views. I'm your host, Renee Kranz. On today's show, we are welcoming Matt Altoff, the Chancellor for the Diocese, back on the show to talk a bit more about Set Ablaze, our planning initiative for the diocese. Um, he's going to give us a little bit more detail. It's always fun having Matt here because you have to keep him from talking above all of us, which is sometimes tricky, but he did a really good job. That's super helpful. So I uh, hope you'll join us for that. Uh, first, we have Dr. Chris Bergwald. Biblical Bites with Dr. <laughs> you can't B. just, you, that's, that's just not. Biblical Bites with Dr. B. I, I want to say thank right. <laughs> you. Uh, you can't do that, Renee. I know. Sorry. Um, you know what week it is, Renee? Uh, oh, boy. Okay, we're getting close to Thanksgiving-ish. So, thir- 28. 31. 31. Oh, that's right. There's 31. 34. I was thinking 32. There's 34. Oh, yeah. no, there's 34. 34. Yeah. <clears throat> you're, you, given what you're thinking, that was a good guess. Yes. Uh, so the we're again, we're um, the gospel is from Luke. We're almost done with Luke because oh, yeah. year C is coming to a close here with Advent. We'll start year A, whose gospel is? Matthew? Okay, well good. good. This is where I got to. Yeah, we need a ding, 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 ding with the producer <laughs> yes. over there. We'll get there. In the we'll future, get there. we'll get there. Uh, so um, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10 is the gospel uh, narrative that we hear at Mass this Sunday. Uh, it's about the story of Zacchaeus. Oh, yeah. What, what, do, you remember, what do you remember? What do you remember, if anything? He, Renee, was about? he the leper that, well, he was... He had leprosy, but he was a leader of an army. Am I thinking of the right person? No. Okay. You're thinking of Naaman, the Syrian. I am. <laughs> that was not even close. <laughs> the Old Testament. <laughs> but, but that's okay. I apologize. Uh, so, no, you're fine. So this is how uh, the reading starts this Sunday. At that time, Jesus came to Jericho and intended to pass through the town. Now a man there named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector okay. and also a wealthy man, was seeking to see who Jesus was, but he could not see him because of the crowd, for he was short in stature. I know that feeling. You can relate. I can relate. <laughs> so what did he do? Do you remember what he did? He climbed a tree, I believe. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus, who is about to pass that way. So there's something else that I want to say, time permitting, but just to start. So Jericho. Jericho, we read the Old Testament. Uh, the Israelites watched Mark around it seven times. Oh, yeah. Fall, yeah. Or seven days it falls. <clears throat> Jericho is... Um, if if Jerusalem is here in the Holy Land, this is great for radio. Jericho, I know, I know. That's why you have to watch it on YouTube. That's right. Uh, Jericho is to the is northwest, northeast of Jerusalem, like seventeen ish miles, okay. closer to the Jordan River. Okay, okay. Because when the Israelites, fourteen um, ish, hundred years before this, um, they actually marched in across the Jordan into the Holy Land from the east. They okay. come up from anyway. So. Jericho is is a, is a major, uh, a larger city in the area. It's not Jerusalem, but it's a larger city in the area, uh, and um, it's on and it, it's near the border with Perea, which is also controlled by the Romans across the Jordan River. And um, there's a major trade route that runs okay. east west through this. So there's a lot of tolls, right. 
um, a lot of surcharges that are applied. Taxes. So get so tax <laughs> so taxes collected, and and Zacchaeus might be a like a regional tax oh, collector. Okay. okay. So uh, he's not just the, the 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 local guy. He might be the regional guy who might oversee other tax collectors. And and we're told so he's a tax collector. That's bad news right. because he's. He's conniving with the Romans against his own people. Mm-hmm. He's lining his own pockets. And we also know that he's he's wealthy. Mm-hmm. So the interesting thing, Renee, is uh, just just earlier, I think in the last chapter in Luke's gospel, chapter 18, um, we had heard about um, the rich young man who came to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And he wants to follow Jesus, but he uh, is not willing to let go of his possessions. Right, right which is worth remembering for something we get to a little bit later okay. with Zacchaeus. Um, uh, so, so that had just happened. Uh, there was also a tax collectors. Um, we just heard though, they could be saved. Right. So it's sort of a strange thing mm-hmm. uh, going on here. But what Zacchaeus does is he climbs the sycamore tree in order to see Jesus. And yet further on, we read the very last uh, thing that we read in, um, in we hear at the gospel is, for Jesus speaking, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. Right. So he reached. A, um, he uh, he climbed the tree. When he reached a place, Jesus looked up and said, "Zacchaeus, come down quickly, for today I must stay at your house." None of this happened by accident. Right. Zacchaeus, oh Jesus, I want to see Jesus. I'm going to run ahead. I'm going to climb the tree. And Jesus comes by, and he looks. At, they've never met before. Right. And Jesus says to him, "Zacchaeus, come down quickly." For tonight, I'm going to stay at your house. They've never met, but Jesus speaks to him by name and calls him by name. And Zacchaeus responds quickly. By the way, one quick thing. Well, another time. That's it, Renee. (laughs) Thanks, Dr. B. You bet. We have Matt Altoff back in studio with us today. Welcome, Matt. Thank you, Renee. Matt it's an honor is, to be here twice in a week. <laughs> I know, twice in a row. It's not even on the same day. We actually are recording different days, which is great. So we have different, well, I don't know if you have different things on, but I have different clothes probably on. probably pretty similar. Sometimes we, we record several episodes in one day and people are probably like, do these people ever change their clothes? <laughs> um, Matt is the chancellor of the Diocese of Sioux Falls and it was on last week to talk, tell us more about the Set Ablaze planning initiative for the diocese. And we wanted to bring him back because we, boy, there's just a lot to talk about. And we only got about partway through. So we wanted to do another round so people can get lots of good information. So thanks for coming back. And I I think that thank you very much for the honor, uh, Renee. I think that's true of any sort of consultative process. Mm -hmm. The reality is that you you learn as much about what you're doing through the process than you ever do by the outcome. right? Right. So. I think I really sincerely appreciate my own personal experience having been sort of the facilitating on the internal side here Mm -hmm. at the Chancery. I know so much more about what we're trying to do, why we're trying to do what we're trying to do, um, you know, is because of my own repeating, hearing it again, experiencing something, looking back on it. And so um, as the expression goes, repetitions, the mother of learning. And mm-hmm. I, I sincerely appreciate the privilege to be here to just kind of talk about it. And, and I'm sure that I'll repeat myself and I think that's okay. And I yeah. hope that in some of the things that people aren't, you know, feel as though they're hearing for the first time, maybe that's true, but, but just encourage it. There's no one sort of magic potion or there's no one sort of solution preordained. Right. That's the nature of this is that it very sincerely is the consultation is leading to a 
at a, a better outcome. That's the purpose. We're not asking people for the sake of asking people. We are asking people because we want to very sincerely improve the outcome of this consultative process. Right. So. And I think that's really important for people to understand because there wasn't a like a pre-planned, hey, I really, this is how it's going to end up in the end. That's right. it, there really isn't. So. That's right. Um, okay. Can you start? Um, we didn't really get a chance to talk about this last time. So there's there's kind of some mechanics about this process that have that have happened, and there will be some milestones as we go forward. So can you talk about those two things so people understand where we are? Thank you very much. So right now we are in the process of pursuing milestone number one, and that is to design a new structure, mm-hmm. a new structure with which we will be able to, in a stable way, the bishop will be able to staff with priestly resources, the numbers of priests we have, a particular arrangement of, of local churches mm-hmm. or parishes. And so the consultation has been a two-step. They first got an email back in, in uh, early September, come read this current reality report that re- that refers to the why mm-hmm. we're doing what we're doing. Now, what is sort of the vision or a way of doing the what, these models, these pictures on a map or circles on a map, mm-hmm. really, the lady are being asked to say, w- in, in light of the why, we have shrinking, diminishment, diminished participation in the sacramental and liturgical and other aspects of the life of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to radically change what we're doing, and hence the what is what we're referring to as this pastorate. Right. Um, we're asking for feedback. Please, if you, have, if you have suggestions that you think would improve the model as it's being designed, we welcome that. And right. we're so grateful here. One week into this, less than that, we've received well over 100 Okay. Uh, comments, submissions, uh, super helpful. All that's being read. We won't get be won't be able to do personal responses to every submission, but be assured every one of those is being read and right. and will be summarized. These suggestions so that they will go into the modeling of a final recommendation. This is milestone number one of a pastorate model. Mm-hmm. This is the structure. Mm-hmm. Milestone number two. We will quickly be um, transitioning to, and, and a lot of this is concurrent. We're working with the right. clergy on this right now. It forms what are the parameters with which a pastorate may be implemented. Okay. And let's remember um, that within those parameters, a pastorate is being erected for the really an explicit purpose of to initiate pastoral planning. We talked about oh, it last right. time. It's it's a mission field. And so collaborating with sister parishes, collaborating with clergy, um, this will lead to parameters by which what are the abilities and disallowed in terms of is we envision a new structure in our local pastorate. So those parameters and what we're calling process guidelines, how do you go about pastoral planning, they aid and and give some what we're calling tight and loose sort of Mm -hmm. structure or tight and loose um, requirements for the local, because this is a very important aspect of of the Holy Father's instructions. There needs to be much more local involvement in pastoral planning. So that is milestone number two, where, as I said, we're calling it parameters before and you process move, guidelines. Yeah. Before you move to password or uh, parameter, or good grief, milestone number three. Can we have, I just want to like put together a little example of that yeah. second milestone. So like if you have, I, I actually don't remember what a lot of the circles are, but so let's take uh, my hometown is Watertown, Castlewood area. So let's just take that and let's just say, Again, I do not remember what ones are in the circle, so I'm just going to name off some parishes. Let's say you have Watertown, Cranzburg, uh, Castlewood, Esteline, I think. I remember maybe there was a Henry or something in sure. there. So you have this circle. You're going to have 
two or three priests or however many were in there. And some of the parameters might be things like um, a, each priest can only say three masses on a weekend. Uh, that might be a more tight parameter that you're mm -hmm. referring to, but a That's loose right. parameter maybe could be um, you all have to figure out your religious ed program together. That, is that kind a, of a that, good that's example? That's exactly right. And, and I would say um, one of the other tight ones, of course, is now within that circle, there's one priest serving as the pastor right. for all. Um, and in that particular model, there are multiple priests that are assigned. So he's mm -hmm. collaborating with others, uh, the numbers of masses. But then the parameters will also get into what what is ways by which you can administer those that collection of parishes, right. that pastorate. So do you have a business manager that right. has oversight responsibilities for each of the physical churches within mm -hmm. the circle? Mm -hmm. Do you have a religious education instructor that has oversight for all the various programs? Not to say that you know the, the, what they're looking for under the uh, the pastor. Remember, these are all extensions of the pastor's teaching mm -hmm. ministry. That DRE would just look to bring consistency, right? But of course, in consultation, you would do that in a way that, like, well, this is the way we've always done it in Castlewood, but this is the way we've always done it in Cranesburg. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we can make a, a, a solution from that. We don't mm -hmm. necessarily have to say we're going to impose uniformly. Right. But th that's a good example. The other pieces would be the compositions of councils. Right, yeah. Uh, the church envisions explicitly that priests have limited numbers of gifts, right? They're not mm -hmm. they're not omniscient. So it, it actually causes or forces priests to erect councils at their various parishes. The pastorate would, would then give some, some tight and loose parameters around what does council composition look mm -hmm. like? Um, and this will raise a lot of questions unequivocally. I, this will, this, I want to be very clear. There's, this is being completely and very intentionally deferred to the pastoral planning process right. where there's local consultation. But, you know, ultimately a number of churches absolutely within the church's law, you could have one parish with many churches within it. So, right. So that's many one, church buildings. Yeah. Many church buildings. That's right. Yeah. So, um, so that, that's another sort of the innovative thought is, mm -hmm. does that make sense? Maybe it doesn't. Right. You know, maybe as the bishop has been very clear, pastors do are defined as a collection of parishes. Maybe they say, no, it makes sense to maintain our autonomous nature as parishes, but still have a common pastor, and mm -hmm. then we we realize we collaborate and cooperate in other ways. Right. So that that's the parameters document, um, and and it'll be, um, it'll again, it just sets some what are meets and bounds, what right. are things that can be right. done, what are things that cannot be done. Yeah. Uh, as we implement the pastorate model. Right. And the thing I really like about that is it, to me, even though there are, yes, some tighter parameters, but it allows for lots of creativity within those uh, pastorates to do things differently in, in a collaborative way than what we've done before. Local culture, okay. local yep. customs yep. are so essential. And, and you know, th this is exactly why you want to meet them where they're at. You want to mm -hmm. respect that and, and understand that before you impose something. And that's the whole purpose of a pastoral planning process within a much tighter mission field, as we call it, this this pastor, that context. So it's just easier to deal with, you know, the spectrum of those customs mm -hmm. and cultures and, and the persons working together, collaborating. It just narrows the numbers of variables, and that becomes a much more workable sort of environment mm -hmm. in which to get um, a better outcome yeah. as the desire. Yeah, and it may not always be easy, but it might be fun. <laughs> my, my, you know, if, if this were left to only humans, this would be brutal. Yes, true. H hence, true. Hence, the Holy Spirit will it, hopefully guide and lots I don't, of us. You know, I, I don't mean that in anything pejorative. That's just our nature. Yep. But but we, we want to emphasize, ultimately, all of this is meant to unleash the fires of the Holy Spirit. That's yes. what Set Ablaze is about. So. We, we all throughout these processes of consultation and implementation, 
that's our desire for everyone is for us to become increasingly aware of God's presence in our lives, God's guidance of his church. Right. Um, you know, and so that that is that's essential. If it's all about what man can create, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think we have no further than the halls of Congress, the oh, halls goodness. of City Hall. Um, you know, just where, where human-human interaction is there, I, I just really think that the, the if there isn't a supernatural involvement, if in the divine love of God uh, permeating throughout all of this, you know, we're not likely to get much different results right, right. Uh, than what we've been receiving or, cur- or seeing in our current reality yeah, report. Yeah, totally true. Uh, if you just joined us, we're talking to Matt Altoff about the Set Ablaze planning initiative in the diocese. Okay, so Matt, go ahead and move on with uh, milestone number three. Milestone number three is, of course, we have a certain faculty of, of priests. We, you know, it, it takes special formation, it takes ordination, all of which uh, many graces promised in that. And there is a vocational discernment. This is a very serious prospect and essential to our Catholic faith. We are nothing without Catholic priests mm-hmm. and their ability to, you know, bring us the sacraments. We have a finite number of them. Mm-hmm. And so the the third milestone is is going to be the assignment of priests. And this is a very important thing because, of course, the church is oftentimes expressed directly to us through Father. Mm-hmm. And we become very accustomed to Father and yeah. his particular giftedness. And, and, and some of our priests are, you know, outstanding at one aspect of priestly ministry. And, and they, they tend to, as we all would do, they tend to play to those strengths. So that happens to be a, maybe a need or a want of some members of the parish at that particular time. So there becomes an attachment. Right, that, this right. is hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard for priests to move. You know, they, they become very familiar with people and uh, very friendly. The authentic friendships develop in their assignments. But it is likely to result in, in priests moving. Uh, in order to fit the model. Mm-hmm. And, and again, a huge part of that is going to be to say, well, we've just created much larger pastor assignments. Right. They have many more church buildings to worry about. They have many more souls to be focused on in their in their in their, you know, their charge is to save souls. Now they just got a whole lot more of them. Right. They're ultimately <laughs> responsible in the spiritual salvation. Yep. So that will, you know, be in a, an intense examination of the priest's, you know, history and experiences and, and what his particular giftedness is so that who who is it that's best suited, of who among our priests are best suited to serve as pastors, who might flourish more in ministry if they're relieved altogether of mm, the administrative mm-hmm. responsibilities and they're permitted to really focus exclusively on priestly ministry mm-hmm. things. And some of the um, priests will love that, by the way. They'll I, be like, yes, please. <laughs> You know, it, it, uh, a sign of the Holy Spirit would be that every priest loves this new assignment. Right, right. Um, you know, that this will be hard. It will be. And, and, and I, I would emphasize, I hope that that assessment isn't taken on, on June 30th and certainly not July 2nd. Um, I hope it is, a, and I'm speaking figuratively here, but, you know, my hope would be is that five years from now, we find that the vast majority of our priests, you know, on a personal inventory, finding themselves to be much healthier in, in, in mind, body, and spirit, mm-hmm. much healthier, uh, I already said that's very happier yeah. in life, um, you know, their disposition, their, their their trust in the Lord is there, and much holier. They're mm-hmm. much more dependent on God. They're much more reflective of God's presence in right. their life. Um, that would be the, that would be the mm-hmm. goal. And I, I would emphasize that, you know, is anybody, any human being, because we're t- bodied and sold creatures, our bodily tendencies are going to slow our ability to get to that transformation? Yeah. yeah. Some fast, some moderate speed, some really, really slow. Mm-hmm. That, that that's again part of how we're unique uh, in the eyes of God. But 
if we take a little bit longer view of assessment, that's the goal. Right. Is that through priest assignments, the alignment of priests, their their abilities, their capabilities, their capacities to the pastorates of, as they've now been designed, and they're being implemented with parameters. Now we're beginning to create a, a, an essential milestone to this process where we're we're, we're right set. We're right. set up for success. Right, and all of that then I think will uh, once you have the priests really in their giftedness, their strengths that will help the lay faithful play to their strengths as well, because that'll kind of trickle down, a trickle down effect in a way that the priests are holier, happier, healthier. So that helps the lay people get there as well. I I think I mentioned it last interview, but you know, these circles are bigger Mm -hmm. and there's a lot more geography and vast majority of these places to get from church to church, physical church. That is, um, the, the, if we look at being a pastor through our current mindset, our current paradigm, our current experience, and then apply it to the pastorate model, we're probably destined to have a lot of priests just absolutely, you know, being overworked, right. over, you know, ridiculously tired, cranky, whatever those right. sort of attributes of, of our human limitations mm-hmm. manifesting themselves. Unequivocally, this only works if empowerment if delegation happens, mm. that's been something that's been talked about at you know at length, clergy days, yeah, um, lots of discussions about this need for us to recognize, um, you know, allow the Holy Spirit to work through all of the baptized mm-hmm. to fulfill the parish's mission, uh, the, the the church's mission. So unequivocally, we would hope to see lay persons being identified within those pastorates who can carry out essential, typically administrative functions, right. Of, of the pastor's role. Right. By delegation, they still serve under his direction. Mm-hmm. They still work in explicit collaboration with Father. Um, he knows what they're doing, and, and he's giving direction. He's you know course correcting. He's emphasizing his priorities, all that sort of stuff. But ultimately, they're doing it. Right. And I think, um, you know, I, I envision, um, I want to emphasize, there's a lot of priests that do this well already. Right, that's you know, very this true. This isn't newfound. I want to be very mm-hmm. clear. We're on a spectrum when we speak in broad brushes across the diocese. But certainly in some parishes, you know, because of the lack of staff and the limited resources of the parish, everything goes through Father. Mm-hmm. Every decision, mm-hmm. every, every you know, can I use the hall? Can I get married that day? Can I, you know, all these sorts of things can can really get, you know, caught on Father's desk. Yeah. And the goal would be to, those are the types of things we can delegate. Right, right. Because he can do the bigger things. Then. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So milestone four. Milestone four will be a compilation of these milestones. So we've defined what is the pastorates. We've defined what are the parameters mm-hmm. and the process guidelines. And we've decided who are the priests that are going to be serving in the respective parishes. And mm-hmm. we, I'm speaking proverbially, right. most all these are bishop decisions. He's, right. Consultation process is leading to a better recommendation of the bishop. Mm-hmm. He ultimately is deciding all these. Milestone four is really meant to be a lot of resources that are meant to help the visioning process. Okay, Here's a way to do it. It's not the way. It is a way to do it. How do you restructure the canonical structure of the parish? How do you restructure the the uh, legal? Because these are all nonprofit corporations. Right. right. The composition of our councils. What are, what are some examples of way ministry collaboration has happened? Um, it, it's really just a sort of an appendix to all of this meant to say, you know, help you help the laity and the facilitator they'll be working with and under the direction of the pastor as they implement this and go through the pastoral planning process, envision church in new ways. 
And most of it would be best practice-based, right. meaning that it's been done in other other locales, other dioceses, archdioceses. Again, it is not the roadmap. Mm-hmm. It is a roadmap and, and with complete deference or you know delegation to the local level. Right. Um, the the meat in or the tight and loose, as I reference, ultimately, you know, the pastoral planning needs to arrive locally at a plan, but that plan is always subject to the approval of the bishop. Right. So um, we are still the one holy Catholic right. and the apostolic <laughs> church. And so there is this, you know, there is this reality that it, it, it's a bunch of guides and the encouragement is to say, figure out what works out, out best right. in that mission right. field. Well, and the good thing I think is that really is attempting to set them up for success so that they have something to go with, something to start with, parameters as we suggested, but also those kind of foundational resources that will help them succeed when they're planning. With the explicit freedom, if you can do it better, please do so. Yes. Right? I mean, within yeah. parameters, right? Yeah. We've we've persisted for 2,000 years. I oftentimes joke, you know, sometimes we can behave as though the church, the upper room was in our town. Right. No, it was in Jerusalem 2,000 <laughs> years ago. So, you know, the, the church wasn't invented here in eastern South Dakota, mm-hmm. and it's been propagated for these 2,000 years because of the Holy Spirit, sometimes in spite of our human right. weakness and limitation. So, you know, there are definitely some universal... Uh, cans and cannots in mm-hmm. this. But when I say that, but unequivocally, there are a lot of innovations mm-hmm. and, and improvements upon how we are functioning as missionary disciples in the context of parish ministry, in the context of parish life that have yet to be revealed, right? right? And, and I, I'm absolutely convinced that in many of these pastorates, brilliant new ideas, inspired no doubt by the Holy Spirit, will come forth about how to go about this. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm convinced that they will do that in a way that will be mindful of, you know, those particular persons that have, you know, might be estranged from parish ministries and it's a beckoning to them, it's an invitation to them yeah. to come back. Um, those who have been hurt in some way, they, they you know, minister or something that was said and they're hurt. And, and in this innovation, we find their ability to see the church in a whole new light mm-hmm. because a missionary disciple has encountered them. They've seen the face of Christ. They've heard the witness of the gospel through common folk and through common language, not this sort of, you know, here's the book and let me throw it at you. Right? That, that's the missionary discipleship uh, approach yep. that we're all being called to. So that, that would be my emphasis is that the sky is really the limit very yeah. uh, very honestly about inventing new ways to, to, to function within these pastorates. Yeah. Um, we only have about a minute, so this might not be fair to ask you this right now, but can you real quickly just describe what happens on July 1st next year? There will be a whole new set of priest assignments. Many priests will have been moving, and um, in that context, there will be an explicit directive, a mandate for parishes that are proximal to one another to now begin collaborating in new ways. No longer do we function as we're parish and we're parish and we continue to be duplicating. It is an explicit mandate from the bishop, collaborate. Right. Get to know one another, seek to understand what are your local customs and traditions, what are your circumstances, what is the resourcing you have, mm-hmm. and then collaborate. Are there better ways that we can do this with our sister parishes that we've now been asked within this circle to work together yeah. with, with one purpose, and that is to achieve the vision, right. lifelong Catholic missionary discipleship through God's love. That's a perfect way to end because that really is where, we're, where we want to go here. So thanks, Matt, for coming on again. Um, we'll continue this conversation as we move through this and uh, uh, probably may have you on again, but as things uh, proceed, we'll see how it goes. 
Thanks, Renee. Thanks, Matt. If you want to learn more about Set Ablaze, you can uh, go to setablazesf.org. All of the um, maps, the current reality report, uh, Bishop's letters, some great videos from Bishop, and these uh, interviews with Matt will be there as well. If you want to share them with other people who haven't been able to see this information yet, please do. That is it for us today. Hope you'll join us again next week for more Catholic Views.